0: a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kinda like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Dw avoidment prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. given. Speak how you feel. I have no freedom. How do you feel? They can lie to my face, but not to my heart. If we all stand together, it will be a start. If the kids are united, they will never be divided. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are now floating in of Selica. My name's Kevin Graham, and as usual on a Tuesday night, I'm joined by Boise. Boise, what's happening, Mick? How we doing, Kev? I hope you
3: can't hear my washing machine vibrating my full flat in the background there, no? No, no, can't hear your washing (laughs) machine at all, mate. Can't hear it at all. Uh, Uh, A joy to be back on Tuesday because I know we like to speak about an album.
1: Yes, it's the Verve Reprise, eh? It's a very good title because the Verve reprised quite a lot of songs on their albums, really. So I just found out, I thought that was an interesting uh, title, eh? The song that opened with you, um, of Sham 69, what do you care about Sham 69? Uh, They
3: sang a song that my dad used to always sing uh, when I was young called Hurry Up Harry. Hurry Up Harry, aye. We're going down the pub. Come on, come on. It uh, It was a song on a Yellow Case CD compilation album. Called the greatest punk out al- anthems of all time. You know what those generic ones. You know what I mean. Um, but I always re- that's why I don't know who Sham Sixty Nine are. But I know the song. If the kids are united, they will never be divided. That used to be a a jukebox classic by the old the older generation that we drink in the, in, in my boozer. Brilliant.
1: The reason that I chose Sham Sixty Nine this week uh, was because there is a West Ham connection. With on me But I, I know, like uh, the Cockney rejects for the ICF's band, and but Sham Sixty Nine sort of got lumped in with that oi movement, uh, Because they were quite shoy- shouty. Unfortunately for Sham Sixty Nine, they attracted a lot of right wing skinheads and races to gigs, which was completely against the band's politics. And they eventually, yep. had to, they eventually had to stop playing live in 1979 wow. because of the violence at gigs. And it was just getting oh. far too much for me. Um, that song, that, that song, The Kids Are United, I remember getting the 7-inch single. And it was my cousin who gave me the 7-inch single. And I used to bounce about the, re- the bedroom with a tennis racket. Along, yeah. it just had that sort of. You get what I mean? Uh, just that punching I say, it was just great. And I had wow, the, wow. I had the football terrace sort of shouting like choruses and all of that. A bit like Oasis, a bit like Oasis took over late uh, later on. Yeah. But that song got to number nine in the charts um, in nineteen seventy eight. But wow. If You want to check something out on YouTube? Check out the B side Sunday Morning Nightmare, but this is the B side of that uh, to the Kids of United single Sunday Morning Nightmare is just as good if you like that sort of girl shout, shouty punk. Jimmy Percy was the, the lead singer of Sham 69. No, do you ken what film he auditioned for? A very famous film that was released in 1978. There was two punk front men auditioned for this film. And both didn't get the part. No no. Good. Jimmy Percy and John Wyden both auditioned for the part of Jimmy in Fiend. Oh, but, but, Wow. So that that's Obviously, Phil Daniels ended up getting the gig, but at the start of the uh, at the start of the pro, the, the process, mm-hmm. the two men that they looked at to play Jimmy and Quadrophenia were well, Johnny Rotten and Jimmy Percy for Sham Sixty Nine, but it didn't happen. Very so, good. So, so there you go. There you go. Now the Delorean stuck in 1997. We're waiting on the we're, wait, we're waiting on this thunderstorm so we can actually connect it to a bell tower. <laughs> and so we can so we can send it somewhere else, uh, but we've kind of moved forward. It's the 30th of November, 1997, and the hoops are going to Ibrox. and we're going to Ibrox because it's a cup final, and Hamden's getting done up, um, and we're playing Dundee United in this cup final. <laughs> A couple of years before that, we had a tough cup final. Another Coca-Cola cup final at Ibrox when we got beat off of yep. Red Rovers. Eh? What's your memory, voices coming into this cup final? How were you feeling? So at
3: this point in time, in my sort of uh, Celtic childhood, Kev, I've only won one trophy as a Celtic supporter.
0: Mm.
3: The Scottish Cup final. Uh, I watched this game, I remember the exact house I was in. A boy from a primary school class. He lived in a far bigger house than me and me had, and he didn't really have much passion for football. But yeah, I had forced this boy.
1: <laughs> Daniel Marky talking about oh, so like non-bonds. Of, yeah. nah. Well,
3: I've never. You know, I'm not. I'm not into non-bonds. But <laughs> judging by the highlights, um, now, is that but exactly yeah, the game. Exactly that game was. It was odd to me because I had never really clicked. My first cup final memory was Paul McStay missing the, the penalty against Ray Trovers.
1: A penalty but kick that I've still never seen, even though I was there. I've still haven't seen that penalty ever watched kick day. that yeah. right. So I never, the thing it, is, I never watched it at the time.
3: And well, yet, even though I was right. at
1: the game, I never watched it at the time.
3: That's mad because the thing was I was at such an age then when that cup final occurred that I wasn't aware of the date or the month of the, in the season calendar when it was played. So I can remember when we were playing this League Cup final thinking, wow, we've just lifted a trophy and, and it's dark. <laughs> so it's afternoon time and it's dark already, you know, because it's 30th of November. So that to me in itself was unusual. But my memories of it is where I watched it, it was at a guy called James McKay's house who wasn't a Celtic supporter at all, but I made him watch it with me. And I suppose it was unusual for us to be already lifting a trophy that early in the season. I mean, I've only ever seen us win in the Sun, you know, at uh, uh, Hamden um, against Airdrie, 1-0. This match we've emphatically won. And, we did. We did. Um, and no. we were a team that looked extremely dominant and there wasn't a, a relief feeling at the end. It was... We scalped them. So that was another unusual factor because my Celtic sort of life up to then had been, if we won, it'd be the, by the skin of our teeth, or like a big game sort of thing, or it'd be a nerve shredder or whatever. Whereas this match, we're lifting a trophy here having one with these.
1: <laughs> Kevin Banks comes in and says, this cup final was the first one I ever managed to get a ticket. That's brilliant, especially going to your first cup final and and winning. I love the fact that this cup final isn't played in the dark. I loved it because in the early 80s, it was played the same time, November-December time. It was always played on a Sunday afternoon, November-December, in the early 80s. Then they moved it to later on in the season. I think possibly the year after this, uh, they moved it because... It must have been the year after it because we retained the trophy and the cup final was in March. They, they, they moved it to the March, and now they've moved it back. Um, I always used to like the fact is this could set up your season. Like if you won that first trophy, I think um, you're spot on with that. If, if you won that first trophy, that this could set, set up your season, and you could actually say this 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 was the case for this mm-hmm. for this team. Um, for a point, I'll go on to later on. So, the Celtic team that came out that night, that day, was Gould, Boyd, Mae, Wee Jackie, Matt Reaper, Alan Stubbs, Henrik Larson, Craig Burley, Andy Tom, Morton Weekhorst, and Reggie Blinker. Uh, on the bench was Anone, Donnelly, and Paul Lambert. So, that is the makeup of Wim Janssen's Celtic side, a side that we, we waxed lyrical about for far too long last week until I realised the time. <laughs> <laughs> and the week before, we played Dundee United as well and bet them 4-0 at Celtic Park. So I remember going into this game with an air of confidence because yes. we we're, be- were better. I mean, they are a decent Dundee United side. Um, they're Dundee United side that had a very Scandinavian feel in them, and there was a, quite a few Scandinavians in that side. Oh, what is it? thunder! Right, when you go, when you go, take your no, 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 your thunder really thunder.
3: No, 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 you've not. It was just that was my observation from watching that. It was good fifteen minute highlight, by the way, on on YouTube. I didn't watch the full match, but when they said Shell Lopson when he was taking the the free kick, and then it was a uh, the other one was a uh, Zetterlund. And And I, I I noticed the same. I went, it's quite a Scandinavian feel with that, Dundee United team. Mm-hmm. But no, that's interesting. That was something you picked up on as well.
1: Brilliant. I think I think we were always linked with Olafson. I think or oh, uh, Monty Ola- uh, 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 Monty I'm often bringing Monty here. This is my steamer cellica set debut. Where are you nice been? Welcome. Are you, welcome, but where you been? And and <laughs> maybe, the, maybe the new time suits him. Um, we're at this time and we are going to be at this time every single week now because of the new show in our state of mind the state of Scottish football um, it looks under the, the boulders of elements of Scottish football that, that other shows don't do and the guys on it a crying. Uh, so Agreed. so Get on that as well, between six and seven, five days a week as well, live. Loads of good guys on that, lo- loads of good topics. Get involved in the comments and that, eh? The first gig was last night and it was really successful. And I watched the one the night there and, and it was fantastic as well. Talking about, I never thought I would spend half an hour when I was preparing for this, talking about Air United and Hubs and St. John's. So, but that
3: is is brilliant to
1: get that flavour involved, is not it? Because it
3: is easy just to be biased to one club, which of course we are. But it is the the league that we live in, and I think the young boys are doing a well from what I watched last night. You know, Sean's definitely he's got he's got the reins like you do on this show, Kev. He's got them
1: yeah. in a tight grip, and I like that. Aye, it was good. It was good tonight, and obviously it's no. We'll get back to the. What we're meant to be talking about the new. Uh, obviously, it's no like Radio Clyde or any commercial. Eh? They're going to talk about things that you only get on other channels. So yeah. it's no, it's no going to be Celtic and Rangers orientated. I mean, we, we blather enough about Celtic on this channel anyway. So you may as well get some other, uh, some other views which are no. Absolutely agreed. Which are no. Yours. Aye, we were always linked with Olafson and Pedersen as well. I always remember I thought they were decent players for Dundee United in this team. Um, what surprised me in this team, you've always got Big Sieb Dijkstra still there as well for the Dundee United side, and Morris Malpass is still running about. I mean, he must have been about 159 by this point, uh, Malpass. Um, I mean, he didn't get that nowadays. Well, we've just had Scott Brown leave right enough, but Morris Malpass spending his career at one club, he's talking about for 19... 19- Early 80s, right, 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 right the way through. Eh? And it was not as if Morris Malpass wouldn't have been short of offers because at one point he was one of the best full-backs in Britain. And during the 80s, he was one of the best full-backs in Britain. Yeah. And I always found it surprising that he didn't actually get, get a move. I was in the Copeland Road this game. It's first time, no, the second time I've ever been in the Copeland Road. Was it the second time? Because aye, second time I've been in the Copeland Road. First time I was in the Copeland Road was played Habs. fought or scored for Celtic, I was in the Copeland Road that Friday night. Um, and so this was the second time I was in the Copeland Road. Cool. Um, never want to be back there, right? Enough. It's um, it, it was it was it wasn't too good. But the day was fantastic. Celtic, we, we went there on a high. You were talking about this Liverpool game another the week there, which yep. which which showed like, uh, which showed where this team could go. And the fact is, we had we had talked, done the United four nothing the week before. We're yep. playing them again at Ibrox. Our, our like ambition was through the roof. Our expectation was through the roof. Going to this game but yeah. it, it was tempered with Rafe Rovers it was tempered by the fact is if we won it would only be our second trophy in the 90s and it was also tempered with, with this point we thought we were cursed <laughs> we, we, we we really so thought we were cursed coming to cup finals and against teams that we should win, games that we should win, teams that we should beat. So there was a bit of nerves coming into this game. Fortunately enough, they were settled in after 21 minutes. Um, Andy Tom picks up the ball on the right-hand side and he plays the, the ball to Morton recourse recourse puts in a ping, pinpoint pot, ping, a pinpoint there you go, ping pong, ping pong, like right? a ping. He put in a perfect cross. Like, I'm not going for the, the alliteration of the p's. Um, he put in a, a perfect cross, which is made by Mark Reaper, who uh, bulleted the ball and off the left hand post. It's a picture of a goal. Eh? It's a cracking goal.
3: The header at the to, you know to aim it to the back post the way he's done. It's a perfect glance and header, isn't it? It's a striker's header, let's be honest. It's not a typical centre-half's header, that one, Kev. It's done with a bit of finesse that you would expect from a, a striker who's good in the air, not a centre-half. But Mark Reaper was someone who, I wouldn't say ahead of his time in that sense, but I suppose had the attributes that a lot of teams would look for just now, where he was very
1: comfortable with the ball at his feet. Well, let's have a look at this. We got a Danish international centre-half with over 50 caps at that point for £1.5 million from West Ham United. How? And if I'm not mistaken, when he signed, he was, what,
3: 29? Uh, Yes, he would have been, yes. So he's at the peak of his powers as well, which is quite the thought that you'd be getting, let's say, the equivalent would be Simon Kerr just now.
1: Simon Kerr,
3: Jason Kerr. No, Simon Kerr, the guy who plays for Denmark. The now who's got over fifty
1: caps, Kev. Who's oh, right, twenty right, years right. old. Right, you, you, right, okay. But what, 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 what do We get him for one point five million. No,
3: he would be fifty probably. You know, or thirty, or something daft like that. So, right, it uh, does. It's quite enlightening to think you're getting guy coming into the peak, because a centre-half for me, 29 years old, they're coming into their peak, aren't they, Kev? Mm-hmm. They are, this is peak age. 50 caps in the bank, and you're choosing to leave the EPL for Celtic. You don't get them for 1.5 million now. You're absolutely right.
1: Well, what's what's- Bring this round to my faux pas there and speak to Jason about Jason Kerr. You would get Jason Kerr for one and a half million pounds, Very
3: true.
1: <laughs> you, good you would, he is a good player, but he's not Mark Very Reaper. Good. He's not sitting there with 50 caps for Denmark. No, having been, having been a first team player at West Ham, another West Ham connection was the reason that i brought up Mark Reaper as well. See, these these things just didn't work themselves out. Here's uh, the question then, Kev did Mark Reaper?
3: When was he part of the squad that won Euro 92?
1: I'm going to say not. I'm going to say no. I I don't think that is on his record. I'm going to say no. He'd be
3: 23 24 by then, so it's interesting. Just try to work it out in my head.
1: I'm not sure either. I I, I
3: can't remember. We would have celebrated that that by now, wouldn't we, if he had been?
1: Aye, we Ah, We would have 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 mentioned eh? (laughs) it. So if you look at Reaper, we may as well talk about Reaper. The now before we move on with the yep. game, because Scott Howe comes in and says Reaper was class. Yeah, and I'm going to fully back that comment that he was class. Him and Alan Stubbs that season formed a formidable partnership, and it was a partnership which was cultured but also as hard as a as a fire door. They were really, really good, really strong, and especially Reaper. Reaper was an absolute leader. And he was also built like the, the side of a bungalow. He, he was he was a, a great player, and to get that for one and a half million pounds was was unbelievable. When you actually look back on it now, yeah,
3: I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's one of the players my dad absolutely adored. He, he he thought the guy he if this is a steal. And he used to talk about Reaper all the time, being a class act. Um, he was at 96. Fair enough. I was just wondering if he'd maybe played at 92 because I knew it fell into his sort of early twenties. It was worth of a go. But we would have known. We would have known Celtic would have found a connection to Euro 92 oh, when Reaper signed. So but he was a player that I'll be honest, even when I was young, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I had a mature football mind then, but Stubbs used to frustrate me as a player. I don't know if from my memory is telling me about the seasons. Preceding ninety seven, ninety eight, but Stubbs, it was never. I was never his biggest fan as a player, eh? um, growing up. But I don't know if it was after that season. He can Stubbs right down there. You go.
1: Facebook user comes in. And he says he can Stubbs right down, and that's. I think that they too became the mainstay of Jansen's championship team because Stubbs benefited from Mark Weeper being alongside him. Yeah, and, and bear sp- in mind that Alan Stubbs cost four million pounds three years before that it would have been. Oh! It 94, 95. That was, was since Tommy Burns signed Stubbs. Tommy Burns signed Stubbs. So Stubbs would have been at the club oh, Someone
3: we'll need to find that out. I think he was 96 as late as... I would think he was only been there a year. Mm, I would think he
1: only been there been. a year. David Bradley comes in. Kev, what was, what was his trophy It uh, It's... What, Reaper, with Celtic won the league in the league cup. Unfortunately, Reaper um, got injured in October '98 and yeah. had to re- and had to retire in July 2000 because of a toe injury. And he only really had one good season. He only had really one season at Celtic. And
4: it's the marketers' report. not just a media company. iheart media is your access company. go to iheartresults.com for more. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct to Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust.
2: Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent.
4: As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
1: He retired at 32 years old. Scary. And he became part of... Martin O'Neill's original bathroom staff. They came back oh. as Martin O'Neill. He came. It was part of Martin O'Neill's original uh, bathroom staff because Celtic couldn't get they couldn't get Robertson and Walford and, uh, and right away because Leicester were hanging on and so Matt Reaper and Tommy Burns took the first couple of days training for Martin O'Neill and they were Martin O'Neill's bathroom staff all the way wow. through. PC, all the way through. P- Pre-season, Celtic asked Rupert to stay on, but he decided to go back to Denmark, where he started coaching at our house. No, 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 the madness yep. song for everybody out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so, Graham Caldwell, Kev Stubbs played for Celtic from ninety-six to two thousand and one. Exactly. I, I, I thought I thought he was earlier than that, but, uh, but there you go. Um, um, uh, Every day's Kev, a school day, Kev. Right. Right. That was my buck last year, so all the years just blend into one. <laughs> so uh, th- that's my that's my excuse, and I'm stuck to it. Uh, he went to our House, became a coach for our House, where he took a certain Liam Muller on loan when he be- when he became coach there. Well, that, I did not know that. Very good. I didn't um, know that. I uh, took Liam Muller and another Celtic player called Mick Doyle on yes. The loan. Yes, I knew he went there. Aye. but Liam Muller went there as well that's fair yeah. <laughs> Mick the Doyle only... was a left winger wasn't he well I cannae remember the, uh, I um... played
3: on the left but I did not remember Liam Miller being out there
1: Stubbs was signed on the 10th of July 1996 well
3: it's easy when you've got Google in front of you Grant you know but I have choked and you've let us know aye d-
1: definitely um, Matt Reaper scored two goals in his Celtic career and this cup final was one of them. <laughs> this was this cup final was one. obviously if you only played a season that's uh, two goals for your centre half, that's fine. But for me, I always look back at Reaper as one of the one of the genuine like heroes of that time. He's a hero of that Celt- of one of those Celtic teams. And they will always be remembered fondly. Even though it was only for a short period period of time eh, for for what he contributed to Celtic in that season, eh?
3: Well, I think the important part as well with that Kev, is you know it wouldn't have been a short period of time if injuries hadn't prevented it. That is un, undeniable, you know. And, and and the one thing as well, you know, you look at the managers that followed. You get to Martin O'Neill's era, and knowing one, Martin O'Neill never really had ageism in him. In fact, Martin O'Neill tended to like, I think, more mature players. So if Mark Reaper, when O'Neill takes step thirty-two, you can be assured he would have been someone he would have
1: used a hundred percent. You know that a fit Mark Reaper would have played in a Martin O'Neill Celtic. Yeah. You, you you know that a hundred percent from just looking back to see for a uh, what Martin O'Neill done with Celtic. Uh, he knew that Mark Reaper would have been part of Martin O'Neill's Celtic. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and O'Neill would try to uh, make him stay as part of the backroom staff as well. So it showed you O'Neill had respect for the guy and his work that you had done yeah, in the pre-season with Martin O'Neill. Mark McLean comes in with a great point as well. Without Stubbs' header in November against Rangers, which was two weeks before this cup final, there would be no one in a row. Aye, it's true there. It's a great tower and header with Stubbs in the last minute. Um what I really like about that game is there's a moment of silence when the Celtic fans realize before the Celtic fans realise the balls in the back of the net. And when you watch the footage back, you can actually hear the players shout that it's in before the crowd goes absolutely mental. <laughs> it, it, it's quite a weird thing. Check it, check it out in the the highlights. Stubbs headers the ball. And when it hits the back of the net, there's silence and you hear the players shouting and you hear Andy Gorm screaming, basically. Um, uh, am I right in thinking Alan Stubbs
3: scored again in the following Old Firm game at Ibrox as well? Oh, I'm not 100% a sure, sure of that. I think he scored again. Remember, I'm sure he curled one in the far corner. Mm. I, could, I think he scored two Old Firm in a
1: row. Uh, Kieran comes in now this is, this is this is one of fire at you boys eh? Reaper was more into pulp than the verve
3: well how do you know that Kieran is beyond me but respect to my Re- Reaper's musical tastes
1: I reckon I, I reckon I reckon Stubbs would have been more into the verve but maybe that's just me stereotyping Scouse or Scouse <laughs> mystics my and stuff like that eh? uh, Kenny 67 comes in to say Reaper scored three goals, one at Tynecastle, one at Easter Road, and one at Ibrox. I, I must have missed one. I, I can scored one against Itholics, only scored against Hibs and Dundee United. Eh, every day's a school day. Stubbs scores. The place goes absolutely mental. Ibrox goes absolutely mental. Two and a half minutes later, Henrik Larsen intercepts a, a pass from Mark Perry. And he gets to the edge of the box and he fires a shot. It takes a, a wicked deflection uh, of Morris Malpass and ends up flies over Dykstra and ends up in the back of the net. At that point, even us in the stands begun to believe that Celtic winning, <laughs> in the the second yeah. throw through the nineties was on the cards. At that point, and when you watch the when you watch the the footage again, and I've just watched it recently. The place goes mental. The players go mental. The crowd goes mental, and the noise that you get from the highlights, or if you've watched the full game, is unbelievable. It's un- un- unfitting for a League Cup final between Celtic and Dundee United. The place the, the, the noise that's actually made is it's hairs on the back of the next stuff.
3: Yeah, I mean the thing is with the second goal, what I noticed watching it back. We always talk about modern football, Kevin, how there's different tactics applied now that have became the norm. The high press is at its its earliest foundation in that Celtic team on that day. They're they're swarming the Dundee United goal by this point and it is relentless. Dundee United cannot even root the ball out without someone being able to block it, deflect it somehow, get it down, one-twos, quick passes, and Larson is at the heart of all of it. That's the thing. And obviously, we would always say Larson deserves his goal, whether it was wickedly deflected or not. But in that particular game, he actually genuinely does. If you watch the involvements he's got in all the attacking moves he particularly the first half, he's everywhere in that final third. And he is linking up play left, right and centre. And his brain is already at this point at an elite level that we're maybe not yet grasping how elite it was.
1: Do you know what I mean? Um, I, do, I, I do get what you mean. He's shown signs of being a quality player at this point eh, after a slow start, should we say. But I'll still always claim that Dr Joe Veng was the following season made him the striker that he became. At this, yeah. at this, at this stage, he was shown his football intelligence as a coming in from the wide areas and linking up with place, But when Venglos married that with being a centre-forward, being sure. the, the main man in the middle, he, he, he then became the zeitgeist player that he is for anybody my age. Well, whilst I agree with that, there's undoubted as well one of Larson's best attributes
3: that he showed in the match, and this has really stuck out to me watching it, see the attributes he shows in that game, as I say, particularly first half, He replicated it one different club, Manchester United. Mm -hmm. He actually became that. You watch what he was like at Man United and I have watched so many highlights. I remember I would tune in every Man United game when he was uh, on Sky when he'd signed for them. eh? Because you couldn't resist not to. The role he played for them, because he only scored, I think, three goals in 11 games. But the role he played was so similar It was actually eerily reminiscent when I watched it. Maybe he's doing it slightly quicker, but when he went to Manchester United it was so similar, the movements. The wee dropping a wee bit deeper, quick one-twos, turning away, eh, passing without looking, laying it off. It was all happening in that first half against Dundee United by Henrik. He deserved that big deflected goal, but I've got to say yes, he adapted to being as you say, the I mean, just a a predator. One of European football's most feared strikers for years. He actually reverted back to the the guy he was in the Vimy I would say, at Old Trafford.
1: That's what he reminded me of. What you've got to remember at this point, Larson's came out a difficult time in Rotterdam. Yep. And you can tell that he's enjoying football at this point because he's getting game time. Uh, At this point, you see the way that he celebrates his goal. It's like there's a release there as if they go, I didn't expect this a year ago that I was going to be playing in a cup final when I was struggling in Rotterdam, when I was struggling at Feyenoord. There's a relief that Celtic have gave him this platform to play. There's a relief that Wim Jansen knew, trusted his talents, trusted his ability, knew about the clause in the contract to get this player for 650 grand. And I think you can see the enjoyment in that side, and this goes back to what we spoke to last week, Russell. I think that Liverpool game, as you quite rightly says, built the confidence in that side. Even though we ended up going out against Liverpool, the fact that they went to a Premier, uh, uh, an English Premier League side, and didn't they get beat over two games against
4: them—it's the marketers' report. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
1: Gave this side confidence, and I think you see it from this point on. Because when we won this game, I mean we had lost four league games up to this point, and we only lo- lose one league game after this point. And that was against Rangers at Ibrox in the end of March 98. So from Liverpool to here builds the confidence of the Janssen Celtic.
3: I think you're absolutely right, Kev. I mean, when you look at the Liverpool performance, like I said last week, I felt that was the first the free insight into what we're going to become in the future, let alone just that season. The cup win instills a different mentality, doesn't it? Because when you win a trophy, that then becomes addictive. That is an addictive thing. Getting put out by Liverpool isn't addictive, but the performance is something to strive, like, to, strive to repeat. Because you know playing against most sides, you will get results if you can play at that level. But winning trophies is a a chemical to footballers that they cannot replicate by doing anything but winning trophies. It is the drug. It is the addiction. Is winning trophies. That becomes part of your psyche. You become a very successful player uh, or team. So you look at the Liverpool stuff was the foundation. The League Cup a couple of months later gave them the belief. When they ended up winning the league, they were probably not surprised. The only thing they were surprised at was the fact they didn't do it at East End Park the week before.
1: Falkenbridge, which should be which should be a, a witch's spell, actually, for the amount of times that we say it on this podcast, uh, Jogre comes in, Barcelona Champions League final, Larson a brain in movement and reverse passing, football brain un- unrivaled. The argument there for anybody on, on this show. Uh, Mick Jai, 2 5 one More a number nine with Celtic, but more a second striker number 10 at other clubs. This backs up your point, Russell, about him at Man United and Barcelona, and also in this season for Celtic, because he was more about a second striker number 10 this season with, with, with Celtic. Even though we're building up to what was a successful season, we still have... <laughs> a, a funny incident that happened in this game which shows how far we, we had to go to be an absolutely fantastic side Reggie Blinker manages to hit his back sideways with his own shot which is something that you'll never see again and something to this day that you'll, you'll have NASA scientists trying to work out how Reggie Blinker managed to hit a ball with his right foot into the ground get in front of it and it comes up and hits but it is embarrassing
3: eh it is I mean obviously he is a predominantly left-footed player you've seen plenty we spoke about Simon Donald. in his left-foot Anfield only last week and the reason oh. that he would have probably scored that opportunity had he been on his right but Reggie doesn't just miss he as you say, defies science which isn't ideal for someone who's probably referred to now as a bit of a joke character um
1: well, when you we see things go. like this, when you hear, when you see things like this again, <laughs> you yep. go. I get it. <laughs> it's quite easy. Eh? I totally get it. And it's funny because
3: we spoke about. I spoke about this with Paul this morning in the studio. We were talking about because I seen the incident with Blinker, and I says, "See when <laughs> you look back at it, imagine Celtic signing a twenty-eight year old, 27, 28 year old Dutch international mm-hmm. winger from the English Premier League right now."
1: And, and being a joke figure. <laughs> it wouldn't you happen, me. It's, it's when you say stuff like that, it, 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 it's how far football's changed yep. uh, in the last 25 years. Um, I don't know, if any, if we get any technical problems here, I just, I just had a flash of thunder there, that's how I jumped. So, <laughs> so just, I thought so just, it was my part. <laughs> no, it wasn't your part, and no, that was a flash of thunder there. Eh? It was... a. Uh, can you hear the thunder, the sound of strength and numbers? Aye, as you say, Reggie Bunker was, was, a, was a Dutch and an arse And, like, <laughs> he somehow managed to hit his own arse with a ball. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it just, it's a skill. You can't teach Wayne's that. You can't teach Wayne's how to do that. But even that couldn't have stopped Celtic that day. And, and let's give let's Bunker his due. He doesn't actually make up for this. When, for his role that he played in the third goal. Um, the third goal came on the 59 minutes. Mm-hmm. Larson gets the ball on, on the right-hand side and cuts into the box. He feeds the ball to Blinker on the edge of the box. Blinker probably should shoot, but he doesn't. He takes a heavy touch. He then goes by two Dundee United players, gets to level with a six-yard box and puts in a perfect cross for Craig Burley to... What, we'd, what would become known as the Stan Petroff type header who charges into the box and headers into the back of the net from about three, four yards. It's a great goal and great one play by Reggie Bunker, even though we've just slagged him there for the last five minutes. Credit where right. credit's due. And, and, you know, that third goal, he is
3: offside, right? Did you not who, notice that when you watched it back? Who Blunker's offside? No, Craig Burtley, the the head of these goals. No, no, I never noticed that. No, no, oh, mate. Oh, mate, it's oh, I. Uh, he's oh, he's definitely, definitely like he's standing, offside before the cross goes in. He's still standing offside when the, it's not like he dies He jumps back, and then goes forward. Oh, he's offside. Mm. Diving header. You would never have known it. No one even mentions it in commentary. Is that VAR? VAR? with I chop that off? Voices VAR came out, Kev. I was like that. Ah, need to chop right. that one up. No, I mean, let's be honest. We were. That was payback for George Cadetti's one that we spoke about a month ago, Kev. You know what I mean? That. So I don't feel bad about it in the slightest. Uh, I've seen Donny Boy's comment there. You never, never played amateur football then, Kev, with a capital B. Um, I think you- that's a skill. Uh, obviously, never wrote a book donny boy or or done any spoken word with a capital V at the end of the No, No, what what he's talking
1: about, if I hang Reggie Blinker hitting his arse well... I know what he's talking about. I I know what he's talking about. No, I never played amateur football. The highest I ever got was Sunday League and even then I had 179 unused subs appearances in in Sunday League. (laughs) Um, I I was that bad. Um, I got to pick the tracksuits every season because I'd be wearing it. So, when, when we got to the. When, when we go to, I got to pick the tracks
3: and So, there, when I
1: grew up, I, I went to,
3: to Dumbling High, right? So, we played for a team called Oktra, the Primrose. Right. Guess who played centre midfield?
1: I played right. left back. Think. <laughs> Andy Center Murray. Andy Murray. I was going to say Andy Murray played centre. Oh, aye, there you go. Was he any good? Uh,
3: Brilliant. Like, Is it? Oh, the best player in the team by a Country Mile. Country Mile, oh, no. a huge Hibs fan, but had a trial for Rangers. Didn't fancy it. There's another flash of thunder
1: there. Um, I'll, I'll, right, um, I'll give you a virtual cuddle, mate. No, no, right. oh, God, it's fine, man. <laughs> if, if, if I disappear, Producer Paul's sitting in the, in the wing ready yes. to come in, eh? Eh, Kenny, 67 points out. We didn't sign Reggie, Blinkle, Russ, eh, Reggie Blinker, Ross, come on. He was traded with the canyon So uh, we uh, didn't we didn't sign Reggie Blinker, then?
3: As you're telling me we just got him just... We, we didn't even know he was joining. <laughs> no, that's called part of the transfer, Kenny. That's part of the deal. We agreed to sign <laughs> Reggie Blinker as a make quake. Selling De Canio. you don't just get players like, Oh, and by the way, there's Reggie Blinker, you've no choice, he's just joining. It, we did say was
1: Reggie it, no Blinker. it was no something like your Octarard of Primo's when somebody wanted to take, say, somebody wanted to come to you and they would offer like a set of cones and a, and a couple of training balls. Was Reggie Blinker <laughs> not just thrown into the deal like that? made that offer for me. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever made that offer for, for me. I've
3: never, uh, Kenny, I mean, I want, to, I want to understand your point right now, but what do you mean we didn't sign Reggie Blinker? We, we did well, sign look, Reggie
1: Blinker. Look, he's got a wee emoji there. He's got a wee emoji. He, he's actually said he was traded with, with the Canyon. I think, I think he's kind of having a wee go at Jock Brown, because that's how Jock Brown would have, would have, would have, would have, would have sold that. He, he was traded with the canyon Oh yes, we, I we, mean we got rid of a troublesome Italian who's never been near the Italian national team, and we traded him for a for a Dutch international winger. There that's you go. That that's nice, that's nice, that is that's how you sell that's how you sell a deal, man.
3: Are you Jock Brown in disguise, Kev? That's what I need to know
1: now. No, no, no. <laughs> Amy, Amy definitely interviewed the right Jock Brown, and it wasn't me. Um, that's, that's right. A eight one 8199. Remember Reggie pulling out of a 50 50 tackle against Zagreb? Uh, I think. Yes, he did. And the way leg the following he season. In the a bit, didn't he? he absolutely. He kind can't. of gets up to him and he does that. It's
3: funny.
1: <laughs> Kenny 67 comes in and I'm, I was spot on mate I was spot on don't argue with me that was the words of Drop Brown Kenny,
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, you need to put the, 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 you need to put the quotation marks in and say Jock Brown I know I know I know but eh uh, I, see, I can
1: only deal with what I see, Kenny. I apologise, mate. That, that was the wee emoji. It was the wee emoji that gave that away to me. No, oh, that, that was my bad then. I apologise, Kenny. Aye. We're 3-0 up, and I'm going to go Celtic, dah here. We won this game at a canter. This is only our setting trophy in the 90s. It was the setting trophy of the nineties. And see all these folk that are complaining about what we're actually seeing the new come back to me in ten years time when we won the second trophy. This is how this place went absolutely mental when we scored the second and third goal. Because we knew at that point.
4: It's the marketers' report. not just a media company iheart media is your access company go to iheartresults.com for more
1: we're getting a trophy we're getting our hands on silverware and i'm yep. going to Celt- I'm going all Celtic, da. And one to sell and want a kenson see for me won our next trophy the celebrations will be the same. we will be so up for that the next the next trophy that we won is going best, to be the best yeah tr- no I agree it's going to be the best trophy and people who moan about where we are, always appreciate winning trophies. Never let that like never never let that feeling go. That or take it for granted. And I'm sorry to say I think some of the Celtic support started winning leagues, thinking winning Leagues Cups and that for granted and didn't they appreciate what we actually done. That's just my opinion. But I let me say it to the now the next trophy that we win and we're all in the stadium is going to be utterly cracking. Yeah, no, gonna, I, I think that's it's fair. It's going to be off the
3: scale. Yeah, well, then, no, I agree with you. I think the fans as there's, there's got to be an element of support. We maybe feel that they do, they do expect it or whatever. But I also think that was that
1: complacency was replicated in the board. So now, now you're, you're talking about Henrik Larson. Yes, Martin Rico's got man of the match. And if, yeah. you watch, if you watch his highlights,
3: he was absolutely superb. This game, the pace of him underrated as well. Um, his dribbling ability, his ability to take the ball from his own half into the you know the sort of final third of the opposition half in five seconds was superb. And uh, mm-hmm. his distribution's brilliant. It's his cross for the first goal, I'm sure as well. Uh, for Reaper, it's Morton cost. and you're absolutely right? he gets man of the match. And I loved his interview after the game because he speaks in that uh, that amazing Scandinavian-Glaswegian stroke Glaswegian accent. It's just wonderful, isn't
1: it? Scandinavian-Dondonian-Glaswegian accent. <laughs> because... Brilliant. <laughs> Aye, Big Morton again, and, and we spoke about him in the Liverpool game a few few weeks before, and we speak about him here. He was absolutely fabulous in this game. And that was a game that he actually thought Paul Lambert was going to play. He didn't expect to play until two hours, and he was told two hours before the kickoff that and he was that, that he was going to play ahead of Paul Lambert. And Yanson Jan, was proved right, which
3: is one heck of an achievement considering that same year Paul Lambert won a Champions League medal only four months before. Mm-hmm. From starting the final man marking Zidane at the Champions League final to coming on with two minutes to go in the League Cup final
1: four months later in Scotland. Yes. wow Scott. How videotaped it, watched it over and over. Was like we won the European Cup. Brilliant. Remember it like yesterday. That's the Brilliant, memories Scott. that. That's the memories that never leave you. That, did you see that? <laughs> that was the memories that will never. That was it. That was the memories that will never leave you. Something is. That's class. Something now that a lot of the younger generation take for granted. We like we loved that day. I think I was off my work for two days after it. I think I was up the rainbow rocks and sterling and everything on that on that Sunday <laughs> night celebrating it. And that's just the way it was. Because it's a setting trophy in like eight years. It's it's it it's must be quite it's quite difficult now. I mean we were I was at the game on I was at the game on Saturday and there's and there's a lot of young fellas on, on our bus, eh? and you're trying to tell them that this is still a good time for Celtic just to get on with it and, and stuff like that, eh? And when you're watching this, like mm. today, watching these highlights again today, you're going, it brought me back, going, what a day that was. That was a great day. And we all sang roll at the final whistle and they played it over played, played uh, the PA and we all went mental and we all went home happy. It, was, it seemed like a mere innocent time, actually. Well, <laughs> you it's
3: think? amazing because you talk about the music after the song and whilst they've always associated role with it, as a Celtic song because of that season, they also ironically fill or but take up the majority of it, and sing You'll Never Walk Alone, with it played over the tannoy. Now, do you imagine if for some reason there was some sort of issue with Hamden, and Celtic have to play a cup semi-final or a final, at Ibrox, would they play that over the tannoy this season? See it happened this season? Nah, they wouldn't let us in. <laughs> the problem, the problem. Well, no. Well, I think you know. See, they. Agree. I, I just don't. I don't think that would happen.
1: I don't think it would happen. You have a look at when we won the. But
3: it did strike me as so noticeable. Sorry, Kev. Just it was such a. It was like when you click, they're all in the stands, and you're going, "Wait now." You almost I forgot it was Ibrox. And you're going, they're playing that over the speaker. I'm just, to me, I, think,
1: I just don't see that happening nowadays. I've never thought about that, eh? But eh, that's maybe why the celebrations were so wild because of where well, it was. Yeah. Um, that, that, that could have been a reason for it. Um, but I do remember them playing roll with it. I, I, I can't remember you'll never walk home, but I do remember them playing role with it in the, in the plays. Uh, absolute bouncing it was a great day and that was a, that, that was that was a great season um Jim Jim Orr, uh, who does the Friday club um is an absolute expert on this season because obviously he wrote the play bend it like brat mm-hmm. and when you talk to Jim Orr about this he's an encyclopedic knowledge of games what went on the draws and stuff like that, eh? And it'd be interesting to get his take. I'll ask him. I'll ask him his take on it, eh? But for me, that rates is one of my favourite Celtic Cup finals. Really? Well, oh,
3: that's superb. As I say, for me, it was like it was the unknown because remember the one the one trophy I've seen us win was against a team we were expected to cuff If you know what I mean, because it was Air, 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 Air at the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And we've only won one nil, and it was like like relief, even though we had a. To me, at that point, you know this great team that was upcoming, and yet here we are against Dundee United, the Premier League team. It was scalping, mm-hmm. so it was very much our. I'd never, I'd never experienced you know winning a trophy where by the full time whistle it was just a case of well I knew I knew for half forty minutes, forty five minutes that we were going to win this. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It was.
1: And when you when you look back at that side, when you look back at the quality that we had in that side on that day, that team would rip the current one and new one <laughs> definitely. Because you're talking about we've got Danish yeah. internationalists, we've got Scottish internationalists, we, we've got Stubbs, we've got Larson, we've got Burley, we've got Andreas Tom. I mean, it, it's, the two weak spots are probably the goalie and Reggie Blinker. And then.
3: The caliber of the of the the key men is just of a far far superior level. I mean, we 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 you know our best player you would say right now still in the squad is Odson Edward. Mm-hmm. He's a France under twenty one international. A right. France under twenty one international would be way down the pecking order in that team in terms of you know rankings. If you were to rank the players, you know, 1-11, who are the best players in the team. We wouldn't be a French under twenty
1: one international, would it? You? Well, you, you look at you look at the this guy that we're, the right back that we're meant to be signing from Antwerp, and he's getting sold as the former Portu- Portuguese under twenty internationalist. That's what that's what he's been described Man, as. And we're talking about getting a Danish internationalist for one and a half million pounds, oh. who, who's got fifty caps. that's that's. that's Completely different worlds. Absolutely completely different worlds. As I say, maybe the world was more simpler in that time. Uh, maybe I just hate modern football more as I get older. But the fact that I, I love that I love that team, that team's got more quality in it now, looking back. And that, I don't think that's a nostalgic thing. I think that's just, I think I'm just stating a fact there. Yeah, is there an argument though,
3: Kev, when we were spending one and a half million then, why on earth do we think one and a half million players would work now? If you told me we're still going to be signing guys, or at £2 million, £3 million pounds, 24 years later, you, do, you would say, no, 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 no. There'll be
1: 8 £9 million by then. Aye, aye. It's, 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 it's football, it's where we are, eh? And guys like that now, I mean, what we've got to remember is the following season we gave Henrik Larsson a contract on the same money as Man United offered them at that point, or that was two or two seasons later. And yep. that would never happen now. That would yep. never happen in the month of Sundays now. We've, got, time, we've got Chris Ayer who's left to go to Brentford, and he's probably trebled four times his money. Scary, to that. To go to Brentford day and changed days. Music has also changed, Russell. Not for the better, we may add. Um, but in September that year, the 18th biggest selling UK album of all time was released by a little band from Wigan called The Verve. And they released an album called Urban Hymns, which was preceded with a song. that basically put them on the map, a video it basically put them on the map uh, called Bittersweet Symphony. Uh, uh, this this is this is the song and the video, who that made Richard Arscoff a star. He went from a nobody to front pages of the tabloid newspapers, and a click your a finger, eh? Hey. Uh, well,
3: it's, it's funny you say put him on the map. Again, you need to look at my age at this time. It's the band that put the verve on the map for me little nine-year-old me at this point, I only turned 10 in November 1997. Wow. wow. I know. But that video, that you could ask my mum, would, she would come down the stairs, you're always an early riser at that age, aren't you? I'd be flicking through the sky a couple of music channels, MTV and VH1, just waiting on that video to come on, on each one of them, just to watch him swagger down. I, I remember doing it in the school corridor at primary school deliberately bumping into well <laughs> 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 I well, that was tiny. But I remember replicating it in, like an idiot at lunchtime in that. But it was so, it, you know, you were transfixed on it because even by that point, and I know it sounds ridiculous, but me and my next door neighbour, by that point, we were making mixtapes. Mm-hmm. Right? And it was predominantly Oasis that we listened to at that point. We were obsessed already, right? Even though we seemed too young to get it properly. We didn't maybe know what cigarettes and alcohol was all about, do you know what I mean? But we we liked the songs. That was the key. And when the Verb stuff came out, it was on this sort of similar sort of wavelength in terms of the, the guitars and all that. And you seen the video and you went, Wow, this is this is scarily good. We'll get to, you know, the rest of the album. I like to do the comment first, but I'll explain what the
1: the next connection is. What I liked about the video was his shoes, the wallabies that he had on. And I loved the shoes. And the fact that his leather jacket looked four sizes too big for him. It looked like you had been that. it looked like you had like a coat hanger <laughs> on like his leather that. jacket. Uh, on, I don't on, like on, that. His, on his leather jacket. And there's a story about the wallabies that he wore on them, they wore in the video. They're fake wallabies. They're fake Clark wallabies. But after the video, Clark sent him boxes full of, really? of them. Right of the right ones. He says that he had picked up these wallabies in Spain and they were fake. Complete and utter fake wallabies. But Clark sent him hundreds of pairs after the video. Well, that is funny, Kev, because I'm actually wearing
3: a fake pair of Adidas Sambas right now. So, um, <laughs> but no, I didn't know that at all. But, you know, again, the video's that iconic. When you're talking about that, I am seeing the exact shoes he's wearing and how loose they are and begin mm-hmm. to think, of course they weren't Clark numbers. You can almost, the more you look back at the shape of them, it doesn't add up. You're absolutely but right.
1: I'm surprised nobody for Clark's picked up on it either. He's wearing he's wearing He's wearing snide. Uh, he's wearing snide ones, man. <laughs> Maybe they did pick up on it. That's why they sent him. Like we're missing we, a trick here, Kevin. We we are are right. uh, lanky sixty-seven. When the Verve came out, I was staying in my grands and Fife. Takes me back to the good old days. It does, t- it does take me back to uh, the good old days as well. Now, I was I, I was into the Verve from the uh, from the first. EPs uh, in 1992 they they competed with uh, they, they competed with Suede or Swede, whatever you want to say You're uh, talking about Clark still I, I, I know uh, the first three EPs I've still got them up, up the stairs with and then you've got A Storm and Heaven was the first album, then for me their perfect album was A Northern Soul and no. I love a so, Norman so. I, I, I love, I love a Norman. I, I love a Norman so, and I was utterly distraught that they broke up. That uh, Arskopf, Paul comes in. Askov was wearing a dark brown, not black leather jacket over a denim jacket in that video. He did have a denim jacket on, and he still has the habit of wearing two jackets.
3: Well, do you know something about that, Paul? Right? I'm going to, I'm going to like in sound here, but you're talking about a Northern soul, cave, right? So, if I'm going to the studio, it's half seven is the pickup time, right? He'll pick me up outside in the big state of mind truck. Now, to me, to G the team up on a Monday morning, right? <laughs> oh, and that, keep that comment up. That is very relevant, right? So, to me, say it was the other way around and I'm picking Paula. I'm playing rock and roll star on the Monday morning, right? Blow the cobwebs away. It's a new week at work. He's playing Chris Carnell's Nothing Compares to You. <laughs> right? Which is, right, on a Monday morning, though, Ian goes, oh, two seconds, two seconds before he's leaving the car park. Two seconds. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm going to put a history by the verb. I'm sitting there going, it's half seven on a Monday morning. <laughs> that is not the way. To, is that what pushes your buttons at this time of day, Paul? Oh. So, and it's history by the very what's they put on. But they are cracking songs. I mean, Northern Soul's got some songs on it that are just,
1: to me, unbelievable. But we're here to talk about urban hymns. I know, but, um, I don't I, but I don't think you can talk about urban hymns if you're talking about a Northern Soul. Because the Northern Soul left them with unfinished business eh, because of the way that they split up. Okay, like you look at history on your own, and uh, history on your own were very more acoustic-based songs. That, yes. To more of their psychedelic jams, which they were famous for. Um, so by the time you get to Urban Hunts, Ashcroft sees himself as a singer-songwriter. He see, that's what he sees himself Correct. as. Correct. It goes into the the studio with youth and I think they produce four or five songs which ended up on urban hymns, but they cannot get nothing else to work. They cannot get nothing else to work. Then eventually they bring in Chris Potter and they bring in the Verve and it becomes a Verve album. But I think you have to... The reason that they split up in the first place was was because McCabe... for me, felt dis- dis- disenchanted by Ascroft becoming, be- becoming this songwriter. Nick McCabe does not play on history. He yep. does not. He does not play a note on history. And it's if you've got the a Northern Soul box set, he tells you in that he says he walked into the studio, they played a bit, and he walked back out, and he never came back for the rest of that album. Well, egos actually... getting
3: in the way of a lot of bands, Kev. Mm. Egos getting in the way of a lot of bands. The other story is that Urban Hymns was actually an album that could have potentially been Ashcroft's first
1: solo album. Well, Ashcroft now claims it was his first solo album. It should have been his first solo oh. album. He claims oh, You Oh, he's only claiming it. Mm. Bernard Butler auditioned for Urban Hymns gig before Ashcroft went back to McCabe. Interesting. That that is a really interesting point. Uh, 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 this this has got to show the age gap between us, Russell. You were turning ten when this album came out. Mm-hmm. Four weeks before this album came out, I went to see them at the Barrowlands on the, what was the Urban Hymns tour. It was a Sunday night. It was a Sunday night at the Barrowlands. It was absolutely boiling. Um, and when you look at it, I've got this. I had to actually check out the setlist, and that night. It wasn't the polished, rock, overblown stuff that became urban hymns a year later, which became the verve at A. Call and Headline and Glastonbury and stuff like that. This was the verve that was still stuck in the 90s, northern soul groove. The life's an ocean that night nearly took the the roof off the place. Uh, A new decade, opened with a new decade, was just, they were really good swampy psychedelic band that night I was having a look at the the set list and from Urban Hymns they only play The Drugs Don't Work uh, Sonnet The Rolling People uh, Bittersweet Symphony and Come On That's the only songs that they play from Urban Hymns that night. And somebody somebody might need to correct me here. I'm sure Ashcroft done the songs from Urban Hymns, apart from Buttersweet Symphony himself with an acoustic guitar. Wow. If if I remember correctly, but then again, I might be mixing up some Richard Ashcroft solo gigs or that. I was... Uh, but for what I can vaguely remember That night Ashcroft done The Drugs Don't Work in that one himself And the band Which It's amazing though
3: Because the importance of this album Is you remember the gig You went to see them tour that The mm. importance of the album For me Who as you say There's an age gap The first single I ever bought Virgin Megastores 3.99 Lucky man Made my mum take me in Knew exactly what I wanted Before I went in the shop Went over to the The chart sales I would love to tell you I know what number it was at the chart, but at the time I did, I can't remember what his standing was. I don't know which week it was in the chart, but I was so obsessed with Top of the Pops and all that at this time. I literally took my mum. I said, we're in and out. And I had birthday money at the time. And we went in, bought the single, and knew exactly what number it would be in a bunch of mega stores. picked it up and walked out with it. And that's the first single I ever bought directly in a shop. Now, I remember... Another important thing about Urban Hymns was I was allowed to stay up later at night when the Brit Awards were on, obviously the following March, because they're scooping awards. And I expected, because it was on the list, that they were going to play live. But they do play live, but it's not in the ceremony. They cut to them playing live at a gig. How do I remember all this? I have no idea. But someone can check it. I'm positive it's the 98 Brits. Because I remember them giving me special sort of, like, right, OK, you love this band, that's fine, you can stay up. But once they've been and played, you know, you're, you're hitting your bed because I'm still so young. And they win an award at the Brits, but it cuts them playing their song live at an actual gig that they're doing then, not at, Brit Awards, not at the Brit Awards
1: ceremony. There is a, to go back, there, I found this recently on YouTube, um, and I might put it in the comments if I can find it. There's a live gig of of the Verfi 1993 in some Irish pub in Rochdale where they basically right. did the whole of a storm in heaven. And it's a fantastic well, I can't gig. I liked them then. <laughs> uh, which is a fantastic gig. Uh, anybody should check it out. There is a link to more than so because... There's an interview in Select magazine that I remember reading, where Richard Ashcroft talks about this song that he's wrote. A Northern Souls just came out, and he talks yeah. about the song that he's wrote. It's got the chorus because the drugs don't work and they just make you worse. And he talk, and it's quoted and selected. That was wow. in Select, and that was in nineteen ninety five. Um, I'm going to ask you a question. You, 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 he says he did not know the chart positions and all that. The drugs don't work. go to number one. It did. That was a number one single. What knocked it off the chart? What, what knocked it off the number one spot? Ninety seven. And I think this is how that the drugs don't work has got a weird crossover appeal. Ninety seven. No, when did the drugs don't work come out? 98. It came out in ninety eight. 98 came out, it came out before the, the, album, single, came out. the album was aye. came September
3: out. 27, 97. But by the time the Drugs Don't Work was released as a
1: single, was in the was summer.
3: 98.
1: No, the Drugs Keep the Drugs Don't Work was out before. Oh, uh, oh
3: this is tricky, Kev, because I know Ub and Him's not be here now off the charts for number one. It did that, yes. So are we going to light them back up together and say, do you know what I mean, Not the drugs don't
1: work off, number one? No. The drugs don't work was... I'm annoyed. The drugs don't work was knocked off by Elton John's candle in the wind because Princess oh, Diana on. snuffed it. Oh. But when the drugs don't work was released the day after if You want to be a conspiracy theorist, I might get us took off there. the the day that uh, the Queen murdered Diana in a car crash gone through a Paris tunnel, or it was just, a, or, or it was just, sorry, just rewind that, rewind that, <laughs> cut that off, um, or whatever. The day I get what you're saying, you've drug- seen the comment at the bottom, Kev. Aye, so, Aye. So, the dr- so the drugs don't work was released on the Monday. After Diana died, so for me that kind of captured the the mood, prevailing mood of ah. those, of those who are asked about these sort of things in the nation, and I point. think that and I think that made that a sort of crossover song. No, I think that makes total
3: sense. Seen the comment at the bottom? Yes. It's not the first time I've disagreed with Kieran today. I think. <laughs> I think it was making a lot of points that I disagreed with on the Axon Bulletin today directed at one of the contributors, but I don't want to give him too much kudos for it if it was the same one. Um, I mean, to me, they're two of the biggest icons. As much as Noel Gallagher's someone in later life I don't like, I think they're, to me, two of the absolute biggest icons of the 90s that defined an era of music that is still... Um, resonating right now 20 odd years later but if it is the same Kieran i'm thinking of today i won't miss
1: <laughs> oh somebody's came in i'm going to take back this comment i'm going to take back the comment i made i was making a wee joke eh? aye but that's quite obvious that princess diana wasn't killed by the queen because she was 95 years old <laughs> that, that, that is extremely obvious um I think a, 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 I think a lot of these guys, when they get to that, uh, I'm going to bring in Joe Porter here, because I think has got a point here. Okay. There is it went? Oh, it disappeared. Usher is the biggest eater of the 90s. Well, <laughs> <But laughs> uh, if I'm
3: going to agree with Joe Porter, all I could say is, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> that was his big song in the 2000s, wasn't it? Usher's no. Oh,
0: you're yeah, too cool you know to oh. know
3: that, Kev. I oh. no, I don't know. I, tough crowd tonight, mate. But no, aye, so Usher had a song called, yeah. Um, but yeah, in the 90s, that's when he came out, uh, he was on top of the pops wearing, like, you know, like the, the hats the swimmers wear?
1: Aye. You must remember that, he wore that on top of the pops. I do, I do, um... Aye, so Urban Hands. So there's two producers of Urban Humps. Yeah. Um, two producers of Urban Hands, and I think you can see a difference in it. So Urban Hands is 13 songs long, right? Is there any songs that you would remove to make it? Uh, if you had to pick three songs to make it a 10-song album, I think every album should only be 10 songs. I think that's uh, perfect. That's, that's me, I'm just old school. I think uh, that's...
3: That's a very difficult question, though. I think to remove songs, what I would say, to flip it a wee bit, Kev, because I like flipping it, as you know, um, to pick your favourite songs that aren't the four biggest singles. You know, obviously, we all know the hits. Sonnet, Drugs Don't Work, Lucky Man, Bittersweet Symphony... What are your other songs that that you love on it? You know, what's your three songs? Is that not a more positive way that you would say the three best songs bar the four big singles? And you know what's incredible, Kev, right now? See my kitchen. Radio X is on and Bittersweet Symphony has just started and I'm not even joking.
1: That's spooky. That's spooky.
3: I can hear it right now above the washing
1: machine. Wow. I really really hope the. Mi five, then he actually break down my door because of my queen comment. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> Richard, Arsenal you'll be a lucky back. man if they don't. Oh, boom, boom, boom! I need space and time to escape. <laughs> oh, so that would be one of our three. Space right. and time. think like space and time has got very Jesus and Mary Chain vibes. It's um, an unbelievable track. I love it. Um,
3: You're gonna uh, ask who claps their hands on it.
1: That's Liam Gallagher, isn't it?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: He also clapped the hands on on a, on your own as well on a Northern Soul. Or was it, that? Or was it a history? It's one of them. There's hand claps when it. it's Liam Gallagher. It's doing the hand claps. Wow! Uh, no, it's on
3: your own. On, on your own. own? No, that it was Liam Gallagher as well.
1: Uh, it's so Liam Gallagher. There's a hand clap. Hand claps on that. Right. Rolling people catching yep. the butterfly in space and time.
3: So it's, for me, Well, two out of the three were the same. And as Meatloaf would say, that's not too bad, ain't too bad. So I would say Space and Time, The Rolling People, and This Time. Mmm, this time, right, right. I'll, I'll I get, love This Time, mate. That, that song to me is absolutely outstanding and a very underrated one. Velvet Mon not far off as well. Comes I in. don't like talking about songs that should be removed, I like talking about the positives of the other songs because I think, would you agree that maybe at times Urban M's is almost unfairly just, you know, synonymous with the four big singles?
1: Yes, when when they came back for the fourth uh, the, the fourth album and they, they came back at that point, there was only folk there that weren't interested in them doing the 10 minute version of uh, Let the Damage Begin and Man Called Sun and they were only there to hear so, uh, mm-hmm. Sonnet and The Drugs Don't Work and stuff like that, eh? When, I, when I'm talking about songs that I would remove for the album, first one is Sonic. I do not care if I ever hear Sonic once oh, again. No. Is... I see Richard Ashcroft. Anytime Richard Ashcroft plays solo, I go and see him. He opens up with his new single and plays Sonnet right after that. I go to the block. I, Why? I, 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 I can't stand sonnet. I would Why? Chuck it, I
3: would chuck it in the sea, man. Oh, no, no that's because then you'd be floating without a hull. Uh, but no, that, that's clever. But no, Sonnet is my favourite out of the four singles, even though Lucky Man's the first one I bought. Oh, I think no, the moment no. in Sonnet yeah. when he says, here we go again and my head is gone, that you watch a live crowd react to that moment of that song like no other difference in any of the songs he plays. So I would... I'm amazed
1: we disagree so much in that. It's upset me, Kev. Sonnet's no, my favourite four. I didn't want to listen to Sonnet ever again. It's when I listened to this album the other day, I skipped it. I was mean, I'm not listening to that. No. That, is, that. That is just rubbish. Um I'm gonna bring Paul's point and keep the 13 tracks and add So Sister and Lord I Guess I'll Never Know. I love the Lord I Guess I'll Never Know. Amazing and I was I would replace Sonnet with that. Quite easily, I would, I, would, I would chuck out Sonnet and put that in it. The other ones that I would take out is One Day. I would take it One Day as well. Uh, and Velvet Morning. I would take it Velvet Morning. Oh,
3: oh, no, I love it. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love Velvet Morning. Let's talk about the positives of the other songs, though. Space and Time, mate. That could have be been one of
1: the singles, eh? Definitely, space and time is. For me, it sounds like the Jesus and Mary Chain. It's got that sort of Mary Chain vibe about it. Um I love that song. I love Beep and as well. Actually, my favourite songs on the album are the, the ones that are all produced by Chris Porter. That's interesting. Porter, sorry, the reason, so Porter, Porter. right? So, no worries,
3: no worries. But the zero play for Motherwell, Chris Porter. <laughs> Um, but the Roland people, oh. if I'm not mistaken, when I first ever got to see the band, it was a a privilege, and it was at Tea in the Park 2008, and I'm sure they came out to the Roland people.
1: The Rolling people was also or was it this, this is music they came out to. I know I'm sure he. This is think- music was always the one that they started with, but the time and then the Roland. On. But when they played the Rolling People, that was a tune that I had,
3: as much as I loved Urban Hymns, had underappreciated till I seen that live gig in t- two
1: thousand eight. Richard Murray, in the comments on the there YouTube we go. comment, cheers, a, a, a nice, a nice picture of Kafkin Park as well. There is a BBC Glastonbury gig after Reformation, widely, widely available on YouTube. That's essential. In fact, I am watching it when you pair wrap up. It uh, is essential, it shows you the genius of Nick McCabe as a guitarist. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nick McCabe's absolutely showcased that night. Uh, I loved The Vervind about this time. One last question Do you think that's a Britpop album? Because it's no. class, uh, it definitely isn't, it? I've got no. no. I think this is a psychedelic rock album. That's what I say it is. I, um, it's... I suppose I find Britpop
3: being a, a lazy tag at times uh, for bands, Kev. For me, it's definitely maybe, you know, which is a completely different show. But I don't class that as Britpop nonsense. Do you know what I mean? If I, I don't even like, see the more I've delved into bands that were classed as Britpop, I actually love identifying the geniuses behind the songs and what the songwriting technique is. And going, do you know what? How insulted would you be to be one of these fantastic guitarists or songwriters at that time, and just all getting bandied together, lumped into one lazy sort of uh, collective, and then thrown out there as that's what they are?
1: Nonsense. These- I've got. Go I've on. got. A, I've got a theory. Britpop started with Rides, Twisterella in 1992, mm-hmm. and ended at Nebworth. That's, for me, that is the brick pop. Uh, There was also, it peaked at the Blur Oasis fan. It peaked then, and for that point, it was downhill. At that point, it was dead by the time they were on the 10 o'clock news and doing country House and that. And the zeitgeist moment, oh, that's twice I've said zeitgeist tonight. That Um, is, that is. the, The zeitgeist moment of brick pop the end of Britpop was Nebworth. That's just me. That, that, that's, that's my... How could you describe
3: the largest freestanding gig of all time, the most demanded for ticket in British history, not of all time, but in the UK terms, the most demanded ticket of all time? I think it was something like one in 22 people applied for a ticket for Oasis at Nebworth. How could you ever describe that? As something as generic as Britpop, when that to me is a standalone, unique moment in music's history, and I find that would really insult me for that to be uh, tarred with uh era that, of music that had a lot of other bands associated
1: with it. That that's it. That's the peak. That's the height. And that's where it should. That's where it ends. And I think even is that um, To me, is Nebworth Britpop or is it its own entity? Well. That's a show for another day, maybe. Yeah, That's that Well, even Oasis actually admit now that they probably should have took a big break after Nebworth.
3: Another debate as well, which yes. I, I enjoy, by the way. I love this.
1: But hey, uh, how can we debate it when two members of the band say the exact same thing? Of course. And, and Bonehead's one of them. He says, I wish that. Either split up after Nebworth or took a massive break, and Noles <laughs> and and Noles actually says the exact same. No, he says looking back on it, he says we yep. a bit, but then they're fully there, whatever they were doing, and riding on the crest of a wave. But for me, that's the bit Paul Pierre ninety two in Edward. Well, I get that, but I think for me, I look at
3: it. Look when I look at music. Urban Hymns is an album up there that stands alone. I know it's after the Britpop era you describe anyway, Mm -hmm. but I would never have tarred that with any other brush anyway because it's just, to me, it's such an album that means so much and it means so much to so many people. And, of course, Kev, before we go, and I know we must be getting late, right, but we have to explain why we're talking about Urban Hymns and you'll probably do it better than me.
1: Yes, uh, I'll bring Paul's comment. And Joe Guest dressed as a nurse, and the Company House video was a, the epitome of Britpop. The verb was bona fide rock and roll. I think if you look at the albums in 1997, which dominated the end of year's list in 1997, was Urban Hymns, Ladies and Gentlemen, We're Floating in Space, Be Spiritualised, and OK Computer Be it. That's the three albums that dominated every end of year best list. And for me, not one of them is Britpop. And even though sometimes they're all lazily termed as Britpop, these three albums brought new ground. Um, for, for, for me anyway. Aye, anyway. Basically, if you're a subscriber to the channel, and you've been at the end of this month, you're actually going to go into a draw to win a, a, a picture frame and a gold disc to commemorate the Verve selling 2.1 million albums of Arben Hunts, The 18th biggest UK selling album of all time. It's oh. a, fant- a fantastic prize. And all you need to do is hit that subscribe button. It's Just an for- incredible prize. The way EMI awarded, you know, you're going... EMI,
3: aye. You never We never know how the boss man gets his hand on these things. But to think a viewer of a show like ours. I hope it's a Scream of viewer, Kev, if I'm being honest you. yeah. you. So they are. I hope it's my dad. I, I hope it's so my dad. I, mean, I hope it's a Scream of watcher. I think... And he give... That's the best
1: hands to get show. Give... I hope <laughs> it's my dad and he gives it to me. <laughs> 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 uh, but some, somebody's going to win a fabulous, fabulous prize and we've got plenty of other fados that's... Uh, draws coming up yep. and I say it won't cost you a penny or you do subscribe to the YouTube channel and you go into a, and you go into a draw and it doesn't matter if you were one of the first 97 that subscribed a year ago or the final person that subscribes on 11.59 on the 31st of July everybody has the same chance of winning well, this ultimate prize
3: if it was a raffle game, I would have to say now though If your number was 97, you'd be feeling pretty confident because that seems to be the theme. Mm. Ah, didn't realise that. There you go. That's been mentioned a couple of different ways now, so I'm like, wow. You know, it's it's all there, mate. Ah,
1: there you go, there you go. I'm weird with numbers, man. I told you this. That's good. I like that. I like that sort of... I mean, Butterfleet Symphony was playing... Was playing on Radio X as we were talking about it. There was thunder and lightning out there, and like I, I'm, I, I'm into all of that. I'm into all of that. I'm away to, to meditate and see, I, <laughs> see 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 what I can feel in the afterlife. Uh, right, I think that will do it, Russell. That's an hour and twenty five minutes. Uh, it's been great. It's been absolutely fantastic at a new time at seven o'clock. And everybody, peace, love, keep it say okay. Eh? See, he's all later.
4: When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text SCORE to 203203. That's text SCORE to 203203. Don't wait. Text SCORE to 203203. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in
2: on building trust.